Hello, everybody. Welcome into the ACC tailgate. Lawton Swan, Ingram Smith, hanging out with you here. Our first ever show. Going to put together the podcast editions for you as well. And just going to kind of wait and see uh, if we do get... Uh, this thing up and running over on Twitch because we've never actually streamed it to Twitch. We've never actually done a show before, Ingram. But, man, I'm excited about the the new venture and getting to talk a little bit about the ACC with all of those Atlantic Coast Conference fans and really college football fans in general. No, I mean, it'll be uh, – overall, it'll be a lot of fun where this goes. Uh, for this show, may need to go ahead and ask your forgiveness, uh, you the listener, your forgiveness before we even get started. This is a uh, first time we're doing it, kind of having to do a little bit of a unique way to try to capture audio and uh, video here. So uh, maybe a couple warts on the first go-round, but we'll certainly uh, try to figure it out. And uh, every show should be nothing but better than this one. So we'll uh, jump into it, see where it goes, and look forward to the conversation. Well, and for a lot of people, Ingram, they may not know about you or they may not know about me because perhaps you're in a different fan base and uh, you don't follow the, the Florida State Seminoles or the Clemson Tigers. But, you know, you and I have both had many, many years, not only in podcasting, but I've done radio as well and continue to do a radio show that covers Clemson to this day. And I, I think that one thing I would say to all of those listeners out there is that, you know, the advantage of the era we live in now is you have so many options available, so many choices voices and that being able to talk about your favorite team or your favorite league is now available. Whereas when you and I were growing up, that really didn't exist. Yeah. I mean, you might even not so much when we were growing up, but like 10 or 15 years ago, even you would, uh, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia here and, uh, we would, uh, you know, everybody was at that point listening to the radio and there'd be a SEC, ACC show or whatever. And, you know, you might get three minutes on Clemson. You might get four on Florida State, whatever it is. Uh, so certainly the proliferation of information has given everybody a uh, a more exact platform that they can locate and, and try to find, um, you know, find exactly what they're looking for. And, and we'll obviously be a little bit more macro in the fact that we're looking at a whole conference here. Uh, but I'm I'm really excited to do this. You know, I don't I, I obviously have more or not. Obviously, uh, not everybody's going to be familiar with what I've done, but I've, I've done a uh, podcast called the Nolcast for 10 or 10 years or so. It's a Florida State focused podcast. Um, have some terrestrial radio background uh, working at 680 The Fan in Atlanta for uh, three or four years. Uh, a, a long time ago as well, but um, you know, looking forward to expanding from just Florida State. My my grandfather signed for Clemson uh, way back in the day. Actually, ended up playing for NC State. Uh, went to school in Virginia, and uh, have a lot of family that gone to UVA. And I'm certainly real familiar with Georgia Tech, just having grown up here in Atlanta. So I'm I'm excited to jump into the conference as a whole and and see where this project goes. Well, and I know Atlantic Coast Conference fans this year still kind of waiting with bated breath on whether or not we're even going to have a season. And I, I've kind of gone at this thing on a, a monthly basis. And I'll be honest with all the listeners, Ingram, I really thought at the beginning of June we'd probably be talking about right now college football being right around the bend. But boy, as we started closing in on July, those conversations started to fade away. We've seen the Ivy League. We've seen the MEAC. We've seen a lot of leagues already shutting things things down but the one thing that those conferences don't have that the power five do have is so much money riding on the television contracts what are you hearing right now and just what is your what are your thoughts i guess from that standpoint on you know what college football might look like for the power five teams specifically uh, as we head towards august 
Yeah, so I've been um, I've been pretty pessimistic the last two to three weeks at the idea of college football. I am slightly more optimistic over the past four or five days from having talked to people uh, both in the SEC and in Florida State. I think it will look like no season that we've ever seen before, and obviously that's all but assured at this point. Uh, but I, I do think that you may see like uniformity at game times. There was an idea a couple weeks ago, a month ago, maybe I was talking to somebody in the SEC East where they were talking about the fact that they may play nothing but day games. Well, that a lot of that conversation was based off the idea of having fans in the stands, which I'm not sure is going to take place at all. And then it was also about, uh, you know, not having the uniformity of conference only scheduling, which is what it looks like. Or even if it's not conference only scheduling, certainly looks like it's going to be P5 only scheduling. So you will have, uh, the uniformity in testing, uh, you will have the fact that, like, you know, you're not going to see, uh, and with all due respect to the people in Statesboro, I'm just using this as a hypothetical, you're not going to see Florida State play Georgia Southern. You're not going to see one program that has such a disparity in resources when it comes to testing, monitoring, uh, looking after the athletes that I think there's a little bit more of a, a level playing field there. But, um, you know, the only thing that you and I can probably look at each other in the eye and be damn sure of is that this conference and all these conferences will do whatever is possible to get this played. And, uh, yeah, there's some loose talk about maybe playing in the spring, but that is, a, it's, there, there are so many, so many minefields that you have to walk through to play college football in the spring that I, I, you know, I really don't know that that's a real legitimate option. Now, everything's on the table. These conferences will do whatever they can to get these games played, to collect their TV money, certainly. Uh, so it's going to be fascinating to watch. I am slightly more optimistic than I was maybe a week ago, but it's it's going to be a real challenge, absolutely. Again, the it other is thing- the AC tail- ACC tailgate, a brand-new podcast from LandryFootball.com. Lawton Swan, Ingram Smith hanging out with you. We're going to be doing this show a couple of times a week just to try to keep you in tune with what's going on around the Atlantic Coast Conference. And from that standpoint, I- I'm with you to a degree, Ingram. I don't know if the, the Big Ten's decision to move to all non-conference games and the Pac-12's decision to make a similar move necessarily has to dictate what happens in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the SEC and the Big 12, but the more and more I listen and hear to guys like Gary Stoken at the, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl and the kickoff classic, you know, they got a lot invested in these ACC and SEC schools. They've got three games that they want to get played in the opening weekend of the season there in Atlanta. And it just, you know, it, it really makes me wonder just from the standpoint of the financial particulars of all of that involved, if we might not see those three power conference teams, those three leagues partner up to a degree to put together some positive scheduling for everybody involved. And because you've got Florida state and Florida, they want to play Clemson and South Carolina. They want to play. You can't do that. If you simply play a conference only schedule. So it begs the question, will we see a partnership where perhaps Texas A&M and Missouri get a chance to play some of their old Big 12 foes, LSU even out in the SEC West, with that potential uh, maybe being on the table. I, I really, you know, everybody I've talked to, Ingram, has kind of said this. Nothing is off the table at this point. They want to get it in. We put a poll out over on uh, my Clemson show the other day and on Twitter, at Clemson Sports. If you want to follow us and peek over the fence, you can follow Ingram at Ingram Smith. I put a poll question out. I said, would you be in favor of Clemson and South Carolina playing the opening week of the season, Ingram? 
That's not something that goes over well in Tigertown or in Gamecock territory generally. 95% said yes. They'd want to open the season with that game just to have it this year. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what I think is, and, and again, I'll circle back to what I said, what I do think that we can be sure is uniformity is that you'll only see P5 schools play each other. Uh, and, and I think you'll see certainly a concentration of conference teams. Um, I mean, I can tell you right now, the view of things in Tallahassee is that if Florida State plays this year, they're going to play Florida. And uh, you hear a lot of similar talk from, from Georgia and Georgia Tech, and you would be, well, you know, you would be better versed than I am on, on Clemson, South Carolina. But I, I certainly think that those traditional games uh, that they have a, a burning desire to, to play. And again, whether that's the first game of the season or the last uh, we'll see. Um, I know that the urge is to try to get your six conference games in as quickly as possible to qualify for your <laughs> to qualify for your conference championship game, which is where there's an absolute ton of TV money on the table. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that breaks down. But uh, I do think that we will see some kind of conference only scheduling uh, with a real focus with maybe one to two wild cards there to where you see these traditional rivalries. And then maybe there's a, uh, you know, a one off set off where, you know, Florida State would play, uh, you know, would play an old Miss uh, or something like that, where you would see some kind of, uh, of odd kind of crossover. But uh, again, I, I think you're going to see. Uh, P5 schools, or at least the three P5s that haven't declared conference only, uh, make some kind of agreement so that there is a uniformity in testing and there's a, a little bit more comfort in going into some of these games with a, with a knowledge as to what some of these other schools have, have done. Um, so everything is on the table. Uh, we certainly agree that they'll do everything possible to get these games in. And to an extent, it'll be fascinating to watch the you know, the wheels of the machine uh, go in, into play to, to see if it's possible and, and how that gets uh, how that gets accomplished. And, and to your point about testing, I, I think that's also one of the other reasons, and it, it hasn't been spoken about all that much, but I think that's quite possibly another one of the reasons you've seen some of these smaller leagues start to hang things up a little bit and go ahead and postpone and move their seasons or do whatever they, they can because the financial burden of testing is real. <clears throat> And oh, they, yeah, and, and no, these, they just can't do it. They yeah. can't do it. I mean, what did uh, uh, Tennessee or not Tennessee, Texas's coach said that they're spending about a million dollars right now testing players or they will spend about a million dollars. I mean, you can't. Uh, the Georgia Southern that I referenced earlier, uh, there's no way in hell they can do that. I mean, I went to a, a D3 school in Virginia. That's not even a fathomable concept the, that they would be able to spend even a you know, uh, a tenth of that on testing. So um, it's it's going to have its reverberations. And then also, the further you get away from the P5, the more that you're looking at schools that are not so dependent upon massive TV contracts, but are dependent upon student fees and game day, you know, turnstiles. And uh, so they've probably got a little bit more flexibility than, you know, the, the Alabama's, Clemson's and Tennessee's of the world. 
Yeah, it is. It's something. It's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. And I think, too, you know, we start to talk about the economies in these cities as well, uh, whether you're talking about towns like Auburn, Alabama, or, or towns like Clemson that aren't in major metropolitan areas. And what is the impact of not having 150,000 people rolled into town every Saturday on the college football weekend? I mean, from the economics of it all, the, the Atlantic Coast Conference, which has, I think it's done an admirable job and certainly you know this from Florida State joining the league back in the early 90s they've really taken strides uh, to I think shift the narrative of this is a basketball league to this is a league that that plays football and can play it at the highest level but from that standpoint so many towns in the south especially and really so many towns around the country in college football this year are going to feel that burden if fans aren't allowed in the stadiums because people quite frankly, won't be able to roll into those communities. And, and that concerns me a lot for the business owners that not only back great programs like your podcast and my podcast, but you know, just for the individual students in the communities to have places like the local pizzeria end up closing up because they're not seeing the profits that mm. they're accustomed to. And I guarantee you their rent's not any cheaper in those areas. I mean, there are so many things that are you know facing not just the colleges, not just the universities and the athletic departments, but these communities that I think has a lot of people uh, concerned about the future as much as this season alone. No, I mean, you make a... <laughs> Unfortunately, you make a very depressing but very valid point. Uh, it is it is deeply concerning for these uh, for these restaurants. For you know, I, I happen to know the the people that run the Smoking Pig. I mean, that, that what's it look like for the and for those that aren't uh, Clemson fans or those that are in the upstate of South Carolina? It's a great barbecue restaurant and a couple options around campus there. You know, when when Notre Dame comes into town, that's the biggest weekend they've had in 10 or 15 years. Um, What does it look like when they have eight or six uh, game days wiped off and they don't have a spring game? And, you know, I mean, it's just it's just a whole different situation. And and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully there are some some cooler heads out there when it comes to some rent and due. Um, It's. Uh, for a lot of these things, one of my biggest sponsors on the Nolcast is a is a massive restaurant group that's right, literally in the shadows of Dope Campbell Stadium. Well, if you if those people don't make it, who the hell else are you going to go find to find that space that don't have to deal with the exact same challenges uh, that these people do right now? So um, certainly, certainly hope that um, you know the the economic fallout that you and I look at is is as minimal as possible because it is going to have some very real and and very tangible impacts on people's lives and livelihoods on twitch it's the landry chris landry football that's your channel and again landryfootball.com lawton swan ingram smith the acc tailgate an all-new show talking about everything going on in the world of college sports including uh everything in the league and and from that standpoint you know there was some big news uh, i guess about a week two ago week or two ago uh, the final year for John Swafford in the Atlantic Coast Conference. And, I mean, he's been around this league for so many years. And uh, there are Tiger fans that will tell you what a, you know, uh, how much they dislike him and they'll boo him every time he's uh, at the ACC championship game and at the ACC tournament, et cetera. But I, I think when you talk about these conference commissioners, uh, some would say maybe he got a little slow start on the ACC network. But by the end of his tenure, uh, he's really positioned this league pretty well for the future. Ingram, what are your thoughts on uh, that news when? 
when it came out and where do you think the league will head in terms of uh, looking at their commissioners? Will they go outside of the league or do you think they'll try to stay in-house to a degree and maybe find an athletic director? Yeah, that'll be fascinating to see uh, what they do or, or where they go with that. I mean, I, I you know, <laughs> like any good league commissioner, uh, there are people who are wild about Swafford and, and not so wild about him. So uh, I, I know that there's a long story there with Clemson and at a time where he probably took a, you know, those who perhaps could view it as a, a punitive uh, response to a um what an NCA sanction 15 yeah. years ago, 20 years ago, well, whatever you know, what's it was. Interesting, um, it, it, what's interesting about that is I did some digging on it after the news came out and I had Tim Beret, who's Clemson's longtime uh, SID. And he said, he said, you know, Swanee, he said, I don't know how that story got started, but it's quite frankly, not true. It's one of those urban legends that just exist. And yet every time, John Swafford's around Clemson, people boo him because that story has resonated. He, he wasn't so, even so he room. didn't, he didn't actually add an additional year to Clemson's. He, he just, wasn't even just, in the room. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's fascinating. That's hey, fascinating. Right. Uh, urban legends. But yeah, but I'll it exists. Go back and look at that. That's an urban legend that I've been told so many times myself that I uh, I believed it. So um, I believe that he, the urban legend goes that he, you know, he added on an extra year for. That's what they for say. Moral, for the fact that he, they didn't upstand the, you know, the the moral expectations of the ACC. And, uh, you know, you've just got so many people in this conference that um, are it's really easy to look at a guy that played basketball for UNC and, and to to continue the the conversation that this whole conference remains based around the triangle. And um, so to an extent, I think that'll probably be a good thing, even if like what we've just covered in the past couple minutes, maybe there's not as much uh, truth to some of these concerns that people have. Uh, I just think from a perception standpoint that there could be some, some good blood and some fresh perspective breathed into the conference. And um Swafford has done a good job to an extent and bringing in Notre Dame uh, as a partial member was a, was a really good thing to do. And, and like I just said, five minutes ago, it's pumped, uh, you know, it's been good for the league's TV, but it's pumped a ton of money into these actual towns. When Notre Dame comes, it's the biggest deal. It's the biggest thing that happens for 10 or 15 years for a lot of these people. And we'll see if there's any kind of diminishing returns on that over time as, uh, as maybe the, the newness wears off. But um you know, the the schools in the ACC, the Clemson's, the Florida States of the world, continue to watch the SEC schools uh, drastically outpace them uh, and the Big Ten as well. And, um, you know, I, I think that the ACC is on good footing, uh, but I do have some economic concerns and, and there does appear to be a, a widening gap, which at, at some point in time will have to be addressed one way or another. Yeah, I was going to ask you if that was more on the financial side, but you did clarify it because I think from the standpoint of you know the college football side, what we have seen, whether you go back to Florida State in 2013 or the kind of runs that Clemson's been on in recent years, you know, on the national stage, the top teams in this conference have been able uh, to compete very well with the SEC. And although maybe there's a depth issue uh, in the league, uh, I, I think probably some of that comes down to the fiscal side that you just brought up, maybe more so than anything else. And, you know, you, you, you mentioned Notre Dame, Ingram. One of the things that I, I've always said, you know, spending time at the ACC kickoff since Notre Dame's had this partnership with the league is why why not have them? 
at the ACC kickoff. And a lot of people said, no way, Swanee. We don't, we don't want Notre Dame to be a part of it. But in I this year <laughs> where we've heard conversations about a possible pod format, I mean, we've heard a lot of different things that could come shaking out of uh, having the, the Fighting Irish be a part of this league to get some semblance of a season together. They backed up the ACC kickoff. It was supposed to be virtual anyway. If there is a partnership with the Fighting Irish this year, a little more substantial partnership, two questions. A, would you expect them to be a part of it? Because I think that's something that you should ask. And and B, you know, what do you think the future could look like if they're allowed to play in an ACC championship game, et cetera, et cetera, in this, hey, we're just willing to try anything 2020 campaign? Mm-hmm. Okay, so first of all, the idea that, like, why would you not want Notre Dame to come to ACC Media Days? There's there's nothing but good things going to come from exactly. that. You're only going to get more coverage. You're only going to – I mean, look, maybe you <laughs> – Maybe you put people on like a three question limit to where once you ask the guy three times, Hey, are you going to become full members of the ACC? Well, then no, (laughs) stop asking that question. Uh, Not, not, not a question that the coach of Notre Dame can answer. Um, Other than that, I don't see anything that's bad that would ever come from that. So, um, you know, this will be fascinating to see how it plays out. And uh, Notre Dame has all these, you know, longstanding kind of rivalries that exist uh, over the you know historical experience and the vital cog that they've been in college football, but um, I would I would draw the line that if you're bringing them to your ACC conference, if you're bringing them to the conference game, even in a crazy year like this one, we really need full membership at that point. I don't you know, and and I don't know how the uh, everything this year is going to be so complicated, but I have no idea how you would break down TV money. I don't know how that would happen uh, if you had. Uh, a situation where you have a Notre Dame playing and playing in the ACC championship game. So from that standpoint, maybe it's a trade-off. Maybe it's a trade-off. The fact that if you get those guys to play, you know, Syracuse and and all these other schools uh, that, that you would allow that, but I would, I would be a little bit concerned about uh, precedent set at that point in time. So in in terms of this season, let me make sure I'm 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 understanding I'm understanding what you're saying, Ingram. So for in, in terms of this season, you you would say to Notre Dame, either you go ahead and decide you're joining, or figure out your schedule. Um, I would say that under no circumstance do you appear in the championship game if you're not a full member. Okay. Uh, if you need to play, uh, you know, six ACC games or eight, good. You're welcome to. Uh, but I don't know that at the end of those eight games, we're going to need you to come to Charlotte. Just, I mean, okay, so what if Clemson – hey, look, you know, humor me, Lawton, please. Uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence and 19 other players can't play against Florida State, and Florida State lo- uh, beats Clemson all of a sudden. Um, and then you've got a situation where you have an ACC championship game where uh, Notre Dame and Clemson pair up, and Notre Dame ends up beating Clemson again. And so – are you going to, as a conference, give someone uh, your BCS slot, or your not your BCS slot, but your you know the your playoff uh, spot, right? Your playoff spot uh, to a team that's not really a full member of your conference, and how would the uh, how would the TV money be impacted in, with that situation? I mean, I think it's a fair question to ask, and I, I would also kind of counter and, and even say to the Notre Dame fans that if you took that 
aspect of it, right? And and said because from their standpoint, like, and I, I've said this several times, you know, it, it's weird because they are one of the few schools in the country where if you don't win a national championship in your career, what championship do you win? Nothing. You don't win a conference mm-hmm. title. You right. don't win a division yeah. title. You just go to college and play football. But there's also that aspect of part of part of that being not I don't want to call it your culture, but, you know, the things that surround your university is that you do have that ability to get into uh, the college football playoff. You you do have that ability. And Mm -hmm. so from that standpoint, without winning a conference, et cetera, from that standpoint, sometimes I think. If Notre Dame's where they are and they're playing these games against the ACC, they could technically this year, prime example, lose to Clemson if they're not in the ACC conversation, still get into the college football playoff with that being their lone loss. So it's 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 such a weird scenario that really we've allowed them uh, to find their way into more than anything. Mm-hmm. I, I think that for years, conferences have not done enough to rein in uh, the fighting Irish to a degree, and they've kind of let them have their own thing. And I don't know that that's healthy for everybody in college football because they are sort of this outlier that builds some, you know, builds tension. I think people are, you know, get frustrated by the way they're treated at times. And, and I don't blame people for that. Uh, but from the standpoint of bringing them into the ACC kickoff and all that, I've always been for it because what does it hurt if Chicago's eyes are on the Atlantic Coast Conference? I don't think it does at all. No, I mean, it's it's what you want. And it's, it's part of what you, uh, you know, it's part of the Olympic sports agreement that you made with them. I just think it's uh, it's only a good thing. And, and ultimately, I don't know that Notre Dame joins a conference until um, – until we have the true evolution or creation of the super conferences to where there's, you know, only a path, only a path to those playoffs by, um, you know, winning the league or whatever it is, the stipulations may be. Um, if that comes about, if say, you know, the big 10, uh, dissolves or the PAC 10 or the ACC, whatever it may be in, in your hypothetical. Um, and then you have maybe these four 16 team super conferences or something like that. Uh, that at that point, I think Notre Dame would have to get on board. But until then, until there's a an absolute obstacle for them to play at the highest level of college football, where you you jointly point out at this point, there's actually uh, exceptions in the rules for them to be able to play uh, in some of the games that matter the most at the end of the year, that they're probably going to sit on the sidelines. And I, I don't blame them. You know, if you've got that TV deal and, and you've got – uh, the ability to park basketball in the ACC and, um, you know, your women's track team and stuff like that can play in the ACC, then, yeah, that's just kind of a perfect, perfect straddling of the fence that they've done so far. The ACC kickoff with Notre Dame, could that be a possibility in 2020? It is the ACC tailgate, Lawton Swan, Ingram Smith hanging out with you. And we're going to try to do this show a couple of times every week as we build up towards the college football season. And, of course, you can follow us if you're watching on Twitch right now. All the information below us here on on the show. And, Ingram, from the the standpoint of, I I guess – just from the you know the perspective of the schedule, 
you know, shifting like we've seen already certainly opens up the ability to back things up a little bit. We still haven't heard. Lots of websites have already pulled down any schedules. I know Michigan has their schedule down, uh, Michigan State. So, you, you know, you've, you've gotten so much uncertainty that they've, they've just pulled all the, you know, all of the schedules down completely. Do you think that we get things started at the 1st of September at this point? Or is your hunch that we do end up pushing things back simply to you know shorten the season, uh, give some more time for whatever preparations have to go into it, because I, I you know I I think it's a double edged sword. Some people say let's get out there and get going as quickly as we can and see how far we can get, and other people are very hesitant and say hey you know what maybe we need to to wait a little longer and and see what this thing really looks like over the next month month and a half. Yeah, it'll it'll be really interesting. Um, I think that there's so many different components to this, and there's so many different things that have to be figured out. Uh, but like one of the people that I talked to in the ACC um, continually talked about the fact that like the governor of New York is not going to go let Syracuse play Miami right now under any circumstances, nor are they going to let, you know, multiple planes full of people uh, from Florida, you know, 110 or 130 people, all the, all the, the heads that travel with a college football team uh, come. So you've got these state specific concerns about travel restrictions. Right. Uh, I think for the ACC, that's actually been, um, a lot of the catalysts that started this pod, you know, the, the idea that you're going to have, well, you're not going to let Syracuse go to Florida. And actually in the schedule, I don't think they were going to play one of these teams uh, with a, a higher state, you know, concerned with COVID right now, actually Clemson until the end of October. So there was actually a decent amount of time in the system to see how this responds, to get a better idea as to what the landscape looks like. But if you shrink if you hyper shrink this down to where everybody tries to play their division games right out of the gate well then you've got to deal with Syracuse you know playing Florida State playing Clemson um I think Miami's on their schedule this year I can't I'm not for sure about that um so it gets all more complicated I don't think the season's going to start exactly on schedule uh I don't think Florida State and West Virginia are going to play that game in the the kickoff here in Atlanta um we'll see if I'm right about that but there's been um some chatter about that for probably six weeks or so. So uh, I think you'll see a little bit of a delayed schedule. And then the other thing, the other real bonus that you get from moving to this, uh, this conference only schedule is, you know, say you have a flare up, say you have, uh, excuse me, as I act like a professional and knock my mic around, but say you have, <laughs> uh, you know, 26 kids from Florida state test positive for COVID. Well, it's a hell of a lot easier for the ACC to put a two-week uh, gap in there, give them a chance to, uh, you know, get their collective house in order, um, and then kind of move everything else around. So I think that's the real appeal uh, to the conference-only scheduling, both the uniformity and testing that we talked about earlier, but also there's there's so much more flexibility uh, that you don't have to worry about other people. If you've got to grab Pitt one weekend and put them in a slot where you thought Clemson was going to be or whatever it may be, uh, that that's the idea that the flexibility 
of a conference only schedule. Again, conference only with probably one or two uh, additional games, one of them being a traditional uh, out of conference rivalry if such a game exists for these schools. Um, so it's going to be fascinating. I don't think it starts on time. I think it'll be interrupted, um, not permanently, but I think you'll see bumps in the road. I think you'll have to see a hell of a lot of creativity. But uh, at this point, a lot of people in college athletics that I talk to think it's the fall or it's nothing. Uh, and they're going to do everything possible to try to get football played in the fall. That matchup you mentioned, Florida State and West Virginia, September the 5th. And again, that is one of those kickoff classics in Atlanta. Three games set for, between September the 5th and September the 12th. Uh, September the 7th would be Georgia out of the SEC taking on Virginia out of the Atlantic Coast Conference. And then September the 12th is North Carolina out of the ACC uh, potentially taking on Auburn out of the SEC. Again, that goes back to our opening comments here about the potential scheduling block alliance, whatever you want to call it, between the ACC, the SEC, uh, and potentially the Big 12 this year that may exist in the Peach Bowl and, and the, the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic could be a huge part of that because they've got so much invested in that opening weekend. And again, you know, I, I think there is still a considerable uncertainty. Ingram, you and I have addressed that here on the program today. Uh, and I, I don't know that that's going to go away even once we, you know, once foot finally does meet ball somewhere uh, in the country as we kick things off. But, uh, you know, I'm with you in, in the mindset of how when, when you've, when you open up these schedules, the way these teams are doing by potentially getting rid of, you know, the non power five games, you give yourself some flexibility if you don't fill things up. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know whether it'll end up being a nine game with a, with a conference championship or a 10 game with a conference championship. I can't tell you, but there are some people out there that have suggested this might be the perfect year to experiment with a bigger playoff field. Open the playoff up and add an additional round just for a season. Uh, you, you know that the, the real driving force, and I've said this all along, if, if the, the conferences and the schools knew right now, and this is not something that fans are going to want to hear, Ingram, but I think you'll agree. If, the, if they knew today they could make the exact same money without playing, they'd have canceled the games yesterday. They would have shut it down yesterday if they knew they weren't going to lose money. I mean, this is economics versus the health and safety of the players. And if you notice, on every release that comes out, the the first thing that said is we are going to take the health and the safety of the players uh, into you know account the most. And so that's why I think that people that are saying we're not going to have a college football season this year aren't that far off at this point because health and safety of the players is number one at the top. And if they knew that they were going to make the same amount of money, I think there is no question they would have canceled it already. But where you can make up some of this money, and we know this from what the revenues have already looked like from the college football playoff, what the viewership of the college football playoff is, is that if you took it out to another round and had four opening round games, two semifinals, and then a championship, the dollars that those seven additional games could produce, I think would be huge for the Power Five Leagues. Well, here's the thing, Lawton, whether you hit on this this year or next year, uh, it's almost certainly going to happen. And uh, the fact that the NCAA tournament didn't get played last year was a big damn deal for a lot of people. Um, If the college football season doesn't get played this year, uh, it is going to have a 
devastating effect on college athletics, not football, athletics, uh, all these non-rev sports who, um, you know, I've said this on the NOLCast mm. and other places. Like if I was a, if I was a 15 or 16 year old right now, and I thought I was going to get a college scholarship in wrestling, tennis, cross country, anything like that, I would be very concerned about what that looks like in two years. I just don't know what's going to happen. Um, I, I know some of the exact numbers at Florida State, and the numbers are mind-blowing. I mean, you're talking about a college athletic program taking a 30 to $40 million loss. That's that's crazy. There aren't, you know, and, and Florida State announced uh, job cuts 20% across the board. That's nice. I'm sure that helps, but you don't cut jobs to save $40 million. It's not possible. Uh, you're going to have to look at sports being cut and unfortunately probably a significant amount of sports being cut. Um, so it's just, it's a really scary landscape. And what I do think you nailed on is that this is going to bring an ex- a, a broader pool when it comes to the, come to the playoffs, whether it be next year uh, or this year, because you're going to have colleges that are desperate for checks. And, uh, you know, what we know about the college football playoffs is only but one thing, that the TV money grows when you broaden the playoff. Uh, and so I think, uh, again, whether it be three months from now, whether it be 13 months from now, I think the idea of the playoffs going to eight teams is all but assured. And it's probably only been a catalyst to speed up this conversation. Ingram Smith hanging out with us here today. The ACC tailgate, the first show, Lawton Swan. You can follow him on Twitter at Ingram Smith. I'm at Clemson Sports. Of course, uh, we cover two of the. I guess what is it fair to call them the 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 you know the two most significant football teams in this league? Miami's not really holding up their end of the deal since they got into the conference. Are they? I mean, honestly. Is that not one of the most amazing stories of the expansion of the Atlantic Coast Conference still? I mean, from a guy that covers Clemson, uh, to know what what Miami was for so many years in the 80s and 90s and to just kind of see them where they are today. And and in fairness, I think everybody thought when they came into the league, it'd be Florida State and Miami playing in the ACC championship game uh, every single season. That's never materialized still. And they've only made it to one Atlantic Coast Conference championship game. I mean, are they... For you, like the biggest enigma to a degree since joining this conference, what, 15 years ago? Uh, yes, but also, you know, so much of their success is just is based on a, I don't want to say the model that doesn't exist anymore, but like, um, I think you can point to, you know, look, college football has been ramped up and been more and more resource leveraged since the first day it started playing in, you know, what, the late 1800s or whatever it was. So that process has been going on. But, um, you know, I, I think when you look at when Nick went to LSU and then really when Nick went back to Tuscaloosa, you just started seeing tons of money being thrown on to on to college football and what's uh, necessary to play at that level. And, uh, you know, Miami is certainly a, a very good school and a, a great academic institution. Uh, but as, as we've become more and more of a resource leverage sport, I'm not sure that the resources are there for Miami to really compete. Um, also the age of the internet, I know that sounds like a, a dumb cliche thing to reference, but 
you can't really hide these three-star kids in Dade County anymore. Everybody finds out about them. Everybody comes down and and recruits them. Uh, There aren't really these South Florida sleepers that uh, Miami and to an extent Florida State were able to live off of that other schools just didn't have the money to park, you know, park people in Broward, Dade and Palm Beach County and, and, you know, go through every school and, and try to find these kids. So I think, uh, you know, the proliferation of, of information has, has been a little bit of a, uh, something that hurt Miami. And, uh, and then they've, you know, they've made their own poor decisions when it comes to coaching. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see how Manny does, um, you know, it, it from a Florida State perspective, it hurts me to uh, give Miami a whole lot of compliments, but they're certainly doing great stuff on the recruiting trail right now. Uh, there is some optimism there, and, and it'll be fascinating to watch how this plays out over the next two years. Uh, but from a micro perspective, I think there's some optimism uh, to have for Miami. When you bring it back from a little bit more of a, a macro look and a broader window, uh, I'm skeptical to think that Miami is ever going to be quite the force uh, that they were in college football that, you know, you and I and, and many of our listeners would have grown up with them being. You know, a year ago when we were at this point in the, the calendar year, I, I really kind of pegged Manny Diaz at Miami as a coach to watch to see what he would do with that team because his youth, his enthusiasm, uh, the way from the outside it, it feels like the players felt about him. I, I thought, you know what? This is a guy who is in a very good spot. Last year they finished six and seven. It sort of felt like the air came out of you know. It, 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 I guess it's kind of reminiscent of when your kids like really fired up for their birthday, but then things don't maybe play out quite as well as you hope, and it it feels a little bit like a downer at the end of the day. But there's still that glimmer of hope that the next birthday will be better. That's kind of where I am with with Miami and Manny Diaz right now. I had so much confidence in him a year ago. Feels like the bubble burst a little bit and this season you know I I think they've got a chance to be a a decent ball club but we have no idea what the schedules could look like we don't know who's playing who so it's really hard to I think evaluate anybody at this point because if you simply go off of the you know what the 12 games you have in front of you uh, well 11 now because they lost one obviously not being able to play uh, their matchup against the big the big 12 or excuse me the big 10 but still you know what I'm saying it's like everything that you want to look at to evaluate teams it kind of comes down to personnel and I just don't know where to put them right now I think they are getting better though and I think you're all over that they they definitely are getting better and he's done a, a pretty good job recruiting They've done a, a good job in recruiting, and they've done a real good job in the the transfer portal. I mean, yeah, they've King, added some real sure. talent there. So, um, yeah, I don't want to say now or never, but th- this year will be uh, telling uh, as to how they do and and what that really looks like because they do have some some unique talent there, and they've uh, you know they got a really impressive defensive line, and they've got a chance to uh, you know continue to build and look. Uh, I won't sugarcoat it. No, the, the hiring of Willie Taggart was one of the worst decisions that has been made over the last 10, 15 years in college football. It was uh, nothing short of an absolute disaster. And, uh, you know, Miami stands to be the program that benefits the most from that. And and at the same time, um, everybody's suffering right now from recruiting because you can't go out and see these kids. But Miami's uh, as 
positively positioned to make the most out of this situation uh, with COVID as anybody, because they have the ability to access local talent that nobody else is going to really be able to connect and see in person. And, and uh, uh, reference Taggart, uh, you know, Mike Norvell at Florida State's not being able to really go out and recruit right now and not be able to establish relationships. So uh, they've got a nice little window of time, both on the talent on the roster, some of the talent that they've gotten uh, in the transfer portal, and then they may be well positioned here to have a year in recruiting that really um, nobody else has that type of situation. So, um, you know, best to best to make uh, make hay when you can, and it'll be fascinating to see how much progress they really make. Well, Ingram, I know that the Atlantic Coast Conference fans tuning into the ACC tailgate today have uh, had a good time, informative conversation about what the college football season could look like. We're going to try to do this show twice a week. We're going to look to go about 45 minutes or so each and every time. we got a full podcast you'll be able to subscribe to, this Twitch channel, where you will be able to watch it as well. And I've already made some notes for uh, the next show because i got to get into to it with you a little bit about the uh, financial particulars of of how uh, Willie Taggart's uh, exit there at Florida State, you know, will play out. We're seeing coaches across the country uh, taking discounts to save these athletic departments a little money. But I, I got the sneaky feeling that anybody that's been fired at their job is not going to be knocking down the door to say, hey, could you guys, uh, I'd be happy to alleviate some of that burden off your athletic department budget. So that might be topic one out of the gate with you uh, when we get back together here, hopefully on Thursday uh, evening. Again, I want to thank everybody for hanging out with us on the AC tailgate ingram my man first show together i you know what it's like flying a plane man we got off the ground and we, we didn't crash it so that was good no man been thoroughly enjoyable this is this is going to be a lot of fun uh you're a professional i can tell <laughs> you do a great job of resetting and uh i really look forward to working with you this will be a lot of fun and uh, we'll continue to kind of look at the conference as a whole and try to figure out what in the world college football is going to look like this year Follow that man on Twitter at Ingram Smith. You can follow me. I'm at Clemson Sports Lawton Swan. Ingram Smith signing off the first episode of the ACC tailgate for what could be an unprecedented and unpredictable 2020 year. Everybody take care. We'll be back on Thursday.